Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. For Josh Baskin, life was a little unfair. Until he made a little wish. I wish I were big. Sweetheart, it's 7.30, are you up? Josh! 20th Century Fox presents... Tom Hanks. Big. I turned into a grown-up, Mom. I made this wish on a machine, and it turned me into a grown-up. So now what? You get a job. Cannot get a job. I play with all of this stuff, and then I tell them what I think. Can they pay you for that? Suckers! Vice president, he's only been here a week. See that girl over there in the red? Short up her legs around you so tight, you'll be begging for mercy. Well, I'll stay away from her then. I loved your ideas on the squeezy doll line. Thanks. <laughs> What were you like when you were younger? Ah! Oh, well, I wasn't much different. Who are you? I'm his girlfriend. I want to spend the night with you. Do you mean sleep over? Yeah. Okay. But I get to be on top. What is so special about Baskin? He's a grown-up. How do I feel about what? How do you, how do you feel about me? You're only young once. This is important! I'm your best friend. What's more important than that, huh? But for Josh... I miss my family, Susan, and I want to go home. Oh, my God, you're married! It just might last a lifetime. You'll never forget Tom Hanks. It's Beluga. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Big from 1988. The studio was 20th Century Fox, the release date was June 3rd, 1988. The running time, 104 minutes, with the rating of PG. The budget was $18 million, and the box office was a smash, taking in $115 million, making it the fourth-ranked movie of 1988. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 97% fresh from 74 reviews. Their critics' consensus is, Refreshingly sweet and undeniably funny, big as a showcase for Tom Hanks, who dives into his role and infuses it with charm and surprising poignancy. So Big was an absolute favorite of mine when I was a kid, and it came out at a perfect time period as I was roughly around the main character's age. And of course, it was the coolest concept ever that a fortune teller machine could grant your wish and make you older. I was just fascinated with this movie and couldn't get enough of it, and I think every kid of my age probably felt the same way about Big. Let's get into the main cast. Of course, you have Tom Hanks, who plays Josh, and we've done a few Tom Hanks films already prior to Big, like Dragnet and Splash and Volunteers, so if you want a career backstory, you can listen to those episodes. However, Big is often considered the role that really sent Tom Hanks into superstardom. 
Elizabeth Perkins plays Susan, and Perkins was really new to Hollywood at this point, only appearing in two films prior to Big, which were About Last Night with Rob Lowe and Demi Moore, and From the Hip with Judd Nelson. She started as a stage actress looking to get into film, and now she continues to work steadily on TV shows, most notably as Janet Malone on the show This Is Us. Robert Logia plays McMillan, and I covered his career in the Necessary Roughness episode, but if you missed it, Logia was a top character actor who started his acting career in the 1950s. He was mostly a TV show character actor for most of his career until the 1980s, and then he really started to appear in movies like An Officer and a Gentleman, Scarface, Pritzi's Honor, Jagged Edge, and the very memorable movie with Sylvester Stallone, Over the Top, about arm wrestling. John Hurd plays Paul, and he started acting in movies in the late 1970s, mostly as a character actor, though he did have bigger roles in films like Cutter's Way from 1981, Cat People from 1982, and Chud from 1984. He is also in the very underrated film and very funny film, After Hours from 1985. Jared Rushton plays Billy, and I thought I'd include Rushton since he's really great in this film, plus he was in a few other movies I enjoyed as a kid, like Overboard with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And he worked pretty steadily on TV shows throughout the 90s before leaving Hollywood for the music business, playing guitar in a band called Deal by Dark. The director was Penny Marshall. Marshall, of course, started her career as an actress, making a big name for herself on the TV version of The Odd Couple as Myrna. And then she really hit it big, no pun intended, as Laverne DeFazio from Laverne and Shirley, which was, of course, a Happy Day spinoff. Marshall then took the plunge into directing uh, four episodes of Laverne and Shirley, and then her film debut for directing was the very funny Jumpin' Jack Flash with Whoopi Goldberg before landing big. All right, let's get into the making of the film. So the screenwriters were Gary Ross and Ann Spielberg. She is the sister of Steven. And they kept throwing ideas back and forth, and one of them was a kid whose wish was to grow up. And they kept brainstorming of what would happen if this were to happen, and then if it did happen, and so on. They recorded their brainstorming sessions, and within a few hours, those ideas morphed into what would become the screenplay for Big. As a writing team, they both effortlessly felt comfortable sharing ideas with one another, and this is absolutely key when being creative. You can't be afraid to throw things out there because you don't know when you know brilliance will occur. And so Ross tells a story where they had a quarter taped to a wall that they would flip if they ever had a disagreement about a direction to take. The only time they had to flip the quarter was over the title of the screenplay. So Anne wanted When I Grow Up and Gary wanted Big. As writers, they weren't very joke-oriented, but the char- but they were character-oriented, and that comes through in their screenplay. They purposely avoided kid jokes, which was a very smart move because the movie has a timeless feel to it. It's not dumbed down for younger audiences, and even I realized this when I was a kid watching it. If it were made today, it would definitely be incredibly dumbed down. So the first draft came together in a few hours and was sold to a production company very quickly. However, it took a year to get the second draft written after being sold. Both Ross and Spielberg were brand new writers, and this was their first film. They wanted to get it right. James L. Brooks, the producer who brought the screenplay, immediately had a question of why does the Zoltar machine work for Josh and nobody else? Ross and Spielberg decided that if the machine was unplugged, it would then be considered magic, and that premise worked for Brooks. Because it took a year for the rewrites, other body-swapping movies came out ahead of Big, you might remember. This led the producers to worry that they missed the boat. However, they always felt they had a better script and the best actor possible, which was Tom Hanks for their film. 
Also, the movie poster was a winner. It just simply had a close-up of Tom Hanks' face with this innocent, sweet smile with a caption that said, Have you ever had a really big secret? And that simplicity sold a lot of folks on the movie. The other body swap movies which came out ahead of Big, all of which I own, funny enough, were Like Father Like Son with Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore, Vice Versa with Judge Reinhold, and 18 Again with George Burns. And the reason that Big works better than the other three body swap movies is that there's a certain genuineness in the acting. It didn't feel hacky or forced. Penny Marshall knew Tom Hanks from the Paramount lot from his days on Boots and Buddies and hers from Laverne and Shirley. And Hanks had the innate ability to be funny and have a childlike charm that not many actors could pull off. Nobody could have played this role better than him. However, Hanks initially turned down this role. And unbelievably, Robert De Niro was considered for this role. De Niro was looking to start to get into commercial-type comedies, and he agreed to do the film. Elizabeth Perkins first read for her part with De Niro, and according to her, the character of Josh took a much darker tone than what eventually the character became. Almost like a 13-year-old in Mean Streets. But the positive of having De Niro associated with the movie is that it gave a certain validity to the picture, especially for a relatively inexperienced director like Penny Marshall at the time. However, the, the studio couldn't get the deal done with De Niro, so luck had it that now Hanks was available to shoot, and he agreed to now be in the film. But they had to wait a few months before shooting because Hanks had other projects he committed to. Elizabeth Perkins and Tom Hanks had a terrific chemistry, which is really what made her stick out opposed to the other actresses that auditioned. She just absolutely adored Tom Hanks and it came through on screen. Robert Loggia was an interesting choice since he normally played heavies in films, but he had a certain charm that the cast directors felt that he would be great as Tom Hanks' boss. Penny Marshall had David Moscow act all the parts of young Josh with Elizabeth Perkins, and this was used as a guide for Tom Hanks to integrate some of his subtle, childlike mannerisms into his performance. Steven Spielberg was initially interested in directing the film, but his sister didn't want a shadow of her famous brother being part of the film. James Brooks then picked Penny Marshall. Other directors that turned down the screenplay were Mike Nichols, Sidney Pollack, and Ron Howard. All right, let's get into the film. So kid to adult body swapping movies were all the rage in the late 80s, like I said. But they really started with Freaky Friday in 1976 with Jodie Foster, which I love. But Big was the best of all of them by far. So the movie opens with a young Josh, played by David Moscow, playing a computer game, which is always amusing to see 1980s video game graphics. And, and it's a choose-your-own-adventure type of game. We then get a quick intro montage of Josh and his buddy Billy, that's Jared Russian, hanging out around town playing stickball, riding their bikes, buying baseball cards, fun kid stuff. You know, like playing outside and actually talking to each other without typing. Your hesitancy has cost you dearly. The wizard, sensing your apprehension, unleashes a fatal bolt from the ice scepter. With luck, you will thaw in several million years. Great. Come on, Josh, it's starting to stick up the place. Okay, okay, okay. Take the garbage out. Every day, take the garbage out. It's the Yankee star pitcher. He's coming out of the bullpen. Look at him. And the crowds are cheering. They're going crazy. They're screaming. Is Billy there? In the back. 
Okay. Rip Gordon is on the mound for the Yankees. He looks into the catcher's mitt, shakes off the first signal, takes the curve. Wipes the sweat off his brain, leans back and fires. Yeah! Goodbye, Mr. Spalding! Here, here, wait. Got it, need it, need it, got it. You're messing it. Hey, hey, hey. You ever go by Simpson's desk when she's writing papers or something? She leaned over, you can see right down her shirt. <laughs> no. Swear to God. Bra? No, no, she's got one of those undershirt things. So if you get real close to the board, you can see all the way down to her flowers. Whoa. Yeah, give me your drum. I know she likes you. I'll find out, okay? Jimmy, Jimmy, go, go, bop. Jimmy, Jimmy, rock. Jimmy, Jimmy, go, go, bop. Jimmy, Jimmy, rock. I'm a girlfriend of Trisket. She said Trisket, a biscuit, ice cream, soda pop, vanilla on top. Ooh, Shalita, walking down the street ten times a week. I made it, I said it, I saw my mama spread it. I'm cool, I'm hot, suck you in stomach all the time. Don't forget to call me after supper. Okay. Remember about Cynthia? Don't worry. I'm as interested as you are. I gotta admit, I'm really glad I grew up when I did before technology really took over. Granted, the two boys talked to each other by walkie-talkie, but it still seemed way more interpersonal than texting. That night, Josh and his parents go to a local carnival in New Jersey. Josh wants to go on a roller coaster as he sees a girl that he likes waiting in line. By the way, she's got a great side ponytail, which was prevalent in the 80s. Unfortunately for Josh, he's too short to get on the ride, which is incredibly embarrassing for him since he claimed to the girl he'd been on the ride before. So Josh is dejected, especially for a 12-year-old, when the little things in life, no pun intended, seem so major and important. Josh wanders around the carnival alone before arriving to a fortune teller machine called Zoltar, which is sitting by itself, not near any of the other games. He gets one wish for a quarter, and of course it's to be big. A tiny card spits out of the machine saying his wish was granted. The Zoltar machine is actually pretty creepy, but it's a great movie prop. And to add to the mystery, the Zoltar machine is not even plugged in like we said before. That night, a storm occurs, and the next morning, the fun really begins. Josh's mom calls for him to wake up and come downstairs for breakfast before school. So Josh heads to the bathroom, and now we see Tom Hanks as the adult version of Josh. And right off the bat, Hanks is amazing. You truly think he's a child in an adult's body. I I really can't speak more highly of his performance in this film. So nowadays, everyone thinks of Tom Hanks as a dramatic actor, but back in the day, he was a terrific comedic actor, and his physical comedy is totally on display in this first scene where he's hopping around trying to fit into kid jeans before borrowing his dad's sweats and sweatshirt. He quickly leaves the house without his mom seeing his change and grabs his bike and heads to the carnival to find the Zoltar machine, but the carnival has already left town. So Josh goes back to his house, but his mom thinks he's a burglar for obvious reasons.
Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. It's Josh. Mom, I'm not grown. Stop it! Mom, I made a wish no, last night. I turned into a grown-up, Mom. I made this wish on the machine. Go away! Go away! I turned me into a grown-up. It was last night at the carnival. My birthday is November 3rd, Mom. I got to be in my history yeah, test. Yeah, take the birthday. You can have anything that's in it. Go away! My baseball team is called the Dukes. Uh, uh, I made this for you. Who are you calling? Ah, I have a birthmark behind my left knee. Bastard, what did you do to my son? I am your son, Mom. Where is my child? Ma! Where is Ma! my son? Ma! Panic, Josh heads to school to talk with his best friend, Billy. But Billy is just as scared as Josh's mom initially, but he's like a typical kid. He's way more trusting than an adult, and Josh convinces him that he's really Josh. No, I'm I'm your best friend. Please, you can't believe me. I know I don't look like myself, okay? But something really strange happened, and I'm really scared, and I need you to help me, my best friend! I can prove it to you! Oh. The space goes down, down, baby, down, down the roller coaster. Sweet, sweet, baby, sweet, sweet, don't let me go. Shimmy, shimmy, cocoa bop, shimmy, shimmy, rock. Shimmy, shimmy, cocoa bop, shimmy, shimmy, rock. I met a girlfriend, a triscuit. She said a triscuit, a biscuit, ice cream, soda, pop, vanilla, on the top. Ooh, Shalita, walking down the street. The unsung hero of this movie, acting-wise, in this film, I've always felt is Jared Rushton, who plays Billy. He's incredibly funny in this role, but he also doesn't seem like he's acting. His, his character seems genuine, and he works incredibly well with Tom Hanks. So Billy helps Josh by stealing some clothes and cash from his parents and setting up Josh in a downtown New York City sleazy motel. Downtown New York City at night isn't a great place for adults, let alone a 12-year-old. The motel room is disgusting and Josh is scared to death as people are yelling down the hall and gunshots are going off outside. Josh ends up crying himself to sleep. So Billy cuts school the next day to help Josh try to find the Zoltar machine at different arcades around town. They file a request with the city in an attempt to find the Zoltar machine and then they are informed by the clerk it could take six weeks or more to get a list of the places Zoltar could be. This means Josh will be stuck as an adult for a while, and he needs to find a job to support himself. So Josh and Billy look through the newspaper job listings and stumble upon a computer programmer at a toy company. So Josh is very good with computers, and it's a toy company, so it sounds promising. Josh brings Billy to his job interview, which seems like he's bringing his kid with him. Josh is wearing this awful baby blue suit, and actually gets an interview because it's a movie. Circulation <laughs> director? Yeah. What's he got? Hey, don't worry about it. Um, social security number? 327025. What is it? It's a locker combination. Great. Uh-huh. Mr. Baskin? Mr. Baskin? Yes, yes. The personnel director will see you now. Uh, your son can wait out here. 
Gee, okay. Son, you should sit down and don't give the lady any trouble now. Sure, Dad. This way. Don't forget. Look him in the eye. couple of numbers missing on your social security. Oh. Oh, 12. Oh, one, two. It says here you've got four years' experience. Yes. All on computers. Yes. Where did you go to school? It was, it was called George Washington. Oh, GW. My brother-in-law got his doctorate there. Did you pledge? Yes. Every morning. It happened again. David, the girl is absolutely useless. You have got to give me someone who knows what she is doing. Excuse me. I'm not getting any of my mail. Nothing has been filed. Ever since she got engaged, my life has been a disaster. Well, you know, she came so highly recommended. She spent the last three months writing down her married name, Mrs. Judy Hicks, Mrs. Donald Hicks, Mrs. Judy Mitchelson Hicks, sometimes with a hyphen, sometimes without a hyphen. Sometimes she spells the hyphen. Oh. Well, I really don't know where I can put her. Put her on unemployment. When can you start? Soon. So the female voice you heard in the last clip was Susan, played by Elizabeth Perkins, and her character will come into play a bit later. The next day, Josh starts his job doing data entry, which is perfect for a kid into computers. You basically follow instructions, and if you're into computers, especially back then, it's a truly a great job for a kid. These kind of jobs are kind of obsolete now, as they can be automated through data scripts. And Josh's youthful exuberance is noticed by his coworker, played by the always hilarious John Lovitz. The Dinky Link. Jimmy's toy box. Psst. Hey. Psst. Hey. I'm Scott Brennan. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Josh Baskin. Huh. Listen, what are you trying to do? Get us all fired? Huh? You gotta slow down. Pace yourself. Slowly. Slowly. Slow. Sorry. Today's my first day. I know. So Josh calls his mom to let her know that her son is okay. It's a funny scene as she asks him to sing a song that she used to sing to him as a baby. So Josh has to sing Memories while sitting in his cube as John Lovitz gives him funny looks. There's another short funny scene where we see Josh back at the Fleabag Motel watching The French Connection with Gene Hackman. And you hear gunshots and mass chaos from the television. And then Josh turns off the movie only to hear the same shots outside of his room. The next day, we get another really funny scene where Josh finally gets his first paycheck. Hanks plays this scene perfectly as you see how excited a kid would be to what he thinks is a lot of money, while an adult like John Lovitz is disgusted by the, how small the check is. Ferris! Thank you. Brennan! Baskin! What is this? Payday. Hey, whoa, where's mine? $187? Yeah. Ah! They really screw you, don't they? So then he goes to the bank with Billy to cash a check. Hi. Hi. 
So how would you like that? Three dimes, a hundred dollar bill, and eighty-seven ones. So the boys spend their newfound fortune on tons of junk food and toys. And I always loved this scene because the boys were having a blast playing with silly string and spray it all over the room. So Penny Marshall and Tom Hanks had a wonderful rapport which allowed them to improvise and create things spontaneously. Like the silly string thing was totally improvised and Hanks would also use material from his young son. For example, the Shimmy Shimmy Cocoa Pop song was from his son. So the next day, Josh goes to FAO Schwartz by himself to check out the toys and runs into McMillan, Robert Logia, the founder of the company he works for. Josh understands what kids really want as toys because he is a kid. Macmillan is just fascinated with Josh's insight, which leads to one of the most iconic and heartwarming scenes in movie history, the giant floor keyboard. Plus you can't take them underwater, and if you do, they... Nice. So just listening to the scene really doesn't do it justice. It's so brilliant the way Hanks and Logia work together, and you can see the genuine joy that both of them have while being in sync. I love how in the beginning, Hanks just tosses his shopping bag away because he's discovered this new toy. It's exactly what a kid would do. It seems like such a simple scene, but it's really not, and it's brilliant. 
It also shows how networking at a human level is far more important than having a great resume or technical skills. Josh is learning life lessons without even realizing it. Because of his boyish charm and innocence, he's out of the mailroom and is now a VP of product development, a serious dream job for a kid because essentially he's testing new toys. And Spielberg, the screenwriter, had visited FAO Schwartz and saw a much smaller version of the piano, but she was so enamored with the floor piano She really pushed her writing partner, Gary Ross, to have the piano be part of the scene in the film. And the idea was sort of put out on the back burner until it came to a point where they had to find a transitional scene to connect Josh being promoted for his job. Basically, they needed to get Josh and McMillan together to push the story forward. From this, Gary suggested that they add Anne's piano scene to the story, to which Anne said, Finally, it only took two months. So Gary and Anne would start to dance out the parts and they realized they worked best as a duet and they realized heart and soul would be perfect. So we go back to the movie. Susan and her asshole boyfriend, Paul, played by John Hurd, are incredulous that Josh started a week ago in data processing and he's already a VP. I know, it's not realistic, but it's a movie after all. Right. Well, according to the marketability studies... Vice president in charge of product development. Vice president? He's only been here a week. Vice president? And he came from data processing. He's out of his mind. The old man has finally lost it. Did you know he gave him Bob's old office? Bob's? Bob's office? Bigger than my office. There's got to be a reason. Things like this don't happen unless there's a reason. Josh also has to go to pitch meetings, and Paul is giving his reports, which are incredibly dry, even for adults, let alone a 12-year-old. Josh isn't even paying attention, and he's playing with toys during the presentation, and ends up asking questions like a typical kid would ask. Everyone is amused with Josh because as an adult, he just seems very naive, he's very innocent, very childlike, of course. Transformers poll 37% market share, and that we are targeting the same area I think that we should see one quarter of that, and that is one-fifth of the total revenue from all of last year. Any questions? No. Not for me. Yes? Yes? I don't get it. (laughs) What exactly don't you get? It turns from a building into a robot, right? Precisely. Well, what's fun about that? Well, if you had read your industry breakdown, you would see that our success in the action figure area has climbed from 27% to 45% in the last two years. There, that might help. Oh. I, I still don't get it. What? What don't you get, Josh? Well, there's a million robots that turn into something. And this is a building that turns into a robot. What's fun about playing with a building? That's not any fun. This is a skyscraper. Well, couldn't it be like a, a, a robot that turns into into something, like a, like a bug or something? A bug? Yeah. Like a big prehistoric insect with maybe like giant claws that could pick up a car and, and crush it like that. A prehistoric transformer? Interesting. 
Gentlemen, if you... So the robot turns into a bug. Ah, uh, gentlemen, oh, listen, listen, listen to him. just got a very good idea yeah. here. The robot turns into a bug. Oh, yeah. This yeah, is a yeah. great idea. Someone's what? a water bug? Yeah. Different sizes yeah. and things. Susan, and, and we could do ladybugs. You could have them wreck a, building. Transformers for girls. A building is an earth bug. It's got all kinds of possibilities. This doesn't just happen. This guy just doesn't happen. You just don't... He doesn't just come to a meeting and say bugs. Well done, Josh. Well done. So this is a great scene because too often companies just look at numbers and raw data instead of what a consumer really wants. They get hyper-focused on numbers, which don't necessarily tell the whole story. So while Paul is annoyed that Josh is just saying, I don't get it, Josh is right. Having an adult create a toy for a 12-year-old isn't always going to work. How can someone that is 32 going to understand the mind of a kid? The numbers might work for parents, but if a parent buys a toy that is marketed well, that doesn't mean the kid will actually enjoy it. And that's what Josh is pointing out at the meeting. Josh, now with his higher salary, can afford to move out of the sleazy motel and into an amazing flat. The kind of flat you only see in movies, of course. This was another fun scene for me as a kid because the boys were dropping water balloons from the top story of their building. They skateboard around the house, and instead of buying real furniture, they get a mini basketball hoop, a pinball machine, arcade video games, a giant blow-up Godzilla, a bunk bed, and a giant trampoline. I mean, it's a dream come true for a kid about how they would decorate a house. Josh does write to his mom to let her know that he's okay, and it's funny, as a kid, I didn't even think about how the parents would feel for their missing son. And actually, the plot sort of ignores this as well. Watching the movie now as an adult, I sort of suspend disbelief because I love the movie. And I think that's the mistake that adult movie viewers end up having when watching movies in general. Our life experiences sometimes ruin films. Movies aren't necessarily supposed to be real. It's escapism. If you want realism, there are plenty of other things to depress you. Why ruin movies with it? So next, we get another memorable scene as Josh attends the company party. This is another brilliant example of Hanks channeling his inner child. From eating the baby corn, quadruple dipping into the appetizer dips, trying to eat caviar and finding out that it's revolting and just letting it drop out of his mouth, to his outrageous wardrobe choice of a white glittery tuxedo. It is really a terrific scene. So I show him the schedule, and he says, it's not correct accounting procedure. Goddamn great. But the toy sold, Paul. Excuse me. Hi. Hi. All the same people having all the same discussion. It's like they cloned some party in 1983 and kept spinning it out again and again and again. I loved your ideas on the squeezy doll line. Thanks. They're so. It's Beluga. Macmillan orders it every year. Uh-huh. Let's go. 
So this is another example of why McMillan and eventually Susan really likes Josh. He's not an uptight adult because he doesn't have the life experiences that eventually matures people. It's refreshing to everyone except Paul who thinks that Josh is just trying to upstage him. So Susan is bored with the party and asks Josh to leave with her. This is another really fun scene as Josh has never been in a limousine before and he acts like it. He even gets Susan to loosen up a bit and have fun like sticking her head out of the window of the sunroof while Billy Idol's Hot in the City plays. They end up back at Josh's apartment and they end up having a typical teenager type of date like jumping on a giant trampoline. Initially Susan is sort of mortified at his apartment but soon has a fun time. Josh thinks it's like a kid's sleepover and she sleeps on the bottom bunk while he gets the top bunk. In a way, Susan is kind of charmed that Josh didn't try to put any moves on her, not realizing that Josh had no moves to make. There, now I can have a drink. Oh, okay. no, 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 no. Look, really jump. I mean, you know, stand there and get air is all day. Go ahead. I get some air between you and, and, and the tramp. Pulling. There. Oh, come on! I'll do it with All you. All right? To show you how to do it. Ready? Come on. Jump. See? Just this. That's how it is. That's how it is. Here you go. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus! Anybody can do this. Oh. Okay. Oh. 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 They glow in the dark compass ring. So you won't get lost. So Paul is jealous of Josh for many reasons. Josh is outshining him at work, plus Susan is more interested than Josh at this point. So, to show his territorial dominance, Paul invites Josh to play racquetball, and that doesn't go well either. It was under the line. You said it had to be over the line on a serve. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. You said it had to be over the line on a serve. No, I did not. Now give me the goddamn ball. What's well, cheating? Give me the goddamn ball, will you? No. Give me the ball, you little shit. Give me the ball! Give me the goddamn ball! I never said that! Yes, you did. Give me the... Give me the... Give me the ball! Give me the ball! Give me the... Give me the... This is new. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. You're a cheater. Give me the... 
I do not cheat. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. Give me the Give me the ball. So after Paul punches Josh, Susan decides she's officially done with Paul. Josh is beginning to really enjoy being an adult now. He's got a great job, he's got a girlfriend and a nice place to live. Unfortunately, his buddy Billy misses his friend and tries to remind Josh that he's still a kid. Not to mention that Josh's parents are still distraught over their missing son. It's sort of the old adage, you don't want to grow up too quickly. It's funny how when you're a kid, you can't wait to be older, and then once you're older, you miss being a kid. It's always tough to be in the moment, but I think the ones that are in the moment, at least early on in life, and they realize it, they're the most happy in life. So Josh ends up going on a date at a carnival with Susan. It's a genuinely sweet and endearing scene. Tom Hanks has that twinkle in his eye that the old actors from the past used to have, like Jimmy Stewart. Josh ends up slow dancing with Susan, in which she tells him how much she likes him and thinks about him. Josh tries to tell her that he's not who she thinks he is, but they end up kissing instead, and this eventually leads them back to her apartment. Alright, I think the cynic movie viewer might find this scene a bit disturbing, but again, turn off your brain with the plot. The love scene, if you can call it that, is actually brilliant. Susan takes off her shirt, and you see her with her bra on. She turns off the light, and then Josh nonchalantly turns it back on. It's hilarious, because it's exactly what a kid would do, and frankly, even an adult male would do. He wants to soak it all in. I think the scene is handled really well. Much better than what would happen if it were made today. Another one of my favorite scenes is when Josh and Susan go to a dinner party at a friend's house, and Josh is uncomfortable because he has to make small talk with the adults at the table. He instead decides to help the son of one of the parents hosting the party with his algebra homework. Yeah, I need some help. Uh, Not now, Adam. Adam, we have guests. He has had the roughest time with algebra world about it. We've tried tutors, everything. Is algebra? I used to study that, too. Isn't that nice? Okay, look, forget all the X's and Y's stuff, because that was invented by some teacher that hates kids. All right. Let's imagine that Larry Bird is, is going to score 10 points in a quarter, okay? Yeah, okay. So how many points is he going to score in the entire game? That's easy. That's 40 points. Exactly. That's algebra. Right. But it is. Yeah, right. see? Okay. One quarter yeah. is to 10 points that he scores in a quarter. Just as four right. in a whole game is to y or x or whatever it is you're looking for. Oh. You can do this for earn run averages, field goal percentages, whatever. That's pretty cool. The rest of the film sort of wraps up the loose ends. You know that Josh can't stay an adult forever. Billy finds where the Zoltar machine is, but now Josh is having second thoughts about returning back to his real life. Plus, he's got a new product presentation he's working on with Susan. And I'm sure many of you know how this ends, so for the few who haven't seen the film, I won't spoil it for you, but it's a good ending, if not a bit sad. So Big resonates with people because there's part of us that never really want to give up certain aspects of their childhood. The memories, the innocence, the thoughts of what will come in the future. Everyone wants to grow up, but I think all of us kind of miss being kids as well at certain points. Big really hits home in a major way, and it still holds up well today because of the well-written script and the terrific acting. All right, there were a number of deleted scenes. So one's called Billy's Home Life. Uh, Billy's mom is throwing a fit at the dinner table about how ungrateful the family is, how nobody offers to help her, all the while Billy is the one serving dinner to the family. Susan interrupts a wedding shower. This would have been in the beginning of the film. Susan's at the office. She's very uptight and hard-nosed. 
The office secretaries are throwing a little impromptu baby shower. Susan isn't happy that nobody is working and that her secretary is ignoring the phone calls. She then goes to her office and sees a talking doll prototype, which she listens to, which includes one joke dialogue that has the doll telling the kid to steal money from her mom's purse to buy more doll accessories. Susan then knocks the doll off the desk. Next, Josh calls his mom. Josh calls his mom from the Sleazy Hotel, and he acts like a telemarketer doing surveys and asks what the family would give to a child for a stomachache and how often. She says Pepto-Bismol and every four hours and then promptly hangs up. Josh leaves the phone hanging in the hallway. Susan and Paul having breakfast. There's an alternate scene where Susan and Paul are trying to figure out where Josh came from, meaning where did he work before. Susan checked all the major toy companies and found nothing. The TV is playing the news and a few Wall Street guys are being arrested and Paul is pissed that business people are being arrested for trying to earn a living, which is typical Paul. We see Josh's picture as a kid on the milk carton from the table. Josh and Billy pick up the tuxedo. This scene was deleted because it would have given away the surprise of seeing Josh enter the office party with the ridiculous tuxedo. Billy tries to convince Josh to bring him to the party. Instead, they go shopping for a tux instead. The clerk tries to recommend a typical black version, but Josh and Billy run around the store looking for the most ridiculous styles like kids. The scene ends with Josh finding the one he wants by saying, I've got it! You never actually see the tux, but again, you can guess it's going to be horrible. The scene is very fun, but it was better to get the surprise at the party. Quacky Duck. Josh is wandering around the halls at the office late one night and notices McMillan pacing in his private office. So Josh visits McMillan and McMillan asks Josh what he thinks about the Astro Blaster toy. Josh isn't impressed saying it's just okay. McMillan agrees that it just seems like everything else and then he reminisces about how toys used to be unique years ago in the past. His example is Quacky Duck, and you see Robert Loggia impersonating how the duck moves. It's a funny scene, and it would have been good in the film, but according to Penny Marshall, it was cut due to time. I personally love the scene because it makes McMillan seem almost like a father or grandfather figure to Josh. Sort of a complimentary scene to the piano scene. Josh and Susan work late. Josh shows Susan a cool new toy where if you press the disc with your finger, it plays a sound. But then if you keep your hand on the disc and another person touches the person touching the disc, it plays another sound. It's actually really neat. I've never seen a toy like this. Susan then goes to get some coffee and runs into McMillan. McMillan mentions how Susan seems to be much happier lately and less uptight, and that he's happy for both her and Josh. The aftermath of Susan and Josh's fight. Susan finds Josh's wallet and looks through it. She finds a folded Don Mattingly baseball card, which has a piece of chewed gum inside of it. It's funny, I remember exactly this this particular baseball card as it's a 1987 Topps card since I had the complete set as a kid. Susan finds his work ID, but also his Zoltar card, which said his wish was granted. We then cut to Billy at his house, calling different places to find where the Zoltar machine is. Next, we go to Susan and Josh walking together, and they stop at a newsstand, and Susan asks for Josh to get some gum for her. He picks a pack of Bubblicious. She obviously wants to compare his choice to what she found in his, in the baseball card. All right, some fun facts. According to Robert Loggia, on the day they filmed the famous keyboard scene at FAO Schwartz, he and Tom Hanks noticed that the doubles dressed like them were on hand just in case they could not do the dance moves correctly. So then it became their goal to do the entire keyboard number without the aids of the doubles, and they succeeded, of course. Penny Marshall was the first female director to ever direct a movie that grossed more than $100 million at the box office. Deborah Winger was originally considered for the Susan role, but she could not take the part because she was pregnant at the time, and she's the one that actually recommended Elizabeth Perkins. Other actors that were considered for the role of Josh. John Travolta, 
Harrison Ford, Robin Williams, Dennis Quaid, Steve Gutenberg, Albert Brooks, Bill Murray, John Goodman, Gary Busey, and Jeff Bridges. I think the obvious choice would have been Robin Williams, but I think he might have gone overboard with it. So there is a great book written by director, cinematographer, and producer Barry Sonnenfeld, which he had all sorts of great stories about his life and career. And Sonnenfeld was a cinematographer for Big, and he had some interesting stories about Penny Marshall, who didn't think highly of his work. According to Sonnenfeld, Marshall would ask for tons of shots and then could never make up her mind of what to go with. Or she'd ask for someone's opinion and then reply with, okay, but if it doesn't work, it's your fault. Or, okay, we'll go with it, but I think it's a bad idea. Sounded like an amazing work environment. However, Sonnenfeld did give her credit that she definitely knew what was funny and that came through on screen. But as a co-worker, it sounded like a nightmare. All right, we do have two special guests, as always. We have Stephen Michael from the Grown Up Rock Podcast and regular guests Eric Sinzak, who are always terrific, and they join me to discuss Big. And I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, we're back with Stephen Michael from the Grown Up Rock Podcast. And by the time this episode comes out, I'm pretty sure you have uh, released a, a really fun episode that I was fortunate enough to guest on with you and uh, Phil Schaus from the Ace Freely Band and the Gene Simmons Band. He's also in Accept. And uh, we gave our top 10 favorite Aerosmith songs from the 70s. And what a blast that was. And thank you for allowing me to participate on that. So uh, welcome back to the show, Stephen. The man with the plan, part of the quarantine clan, was shaking <laughs> Brian Davis. <laughs> I love it. See, you always come prepared with, with a new catchphrase. And, and uh, this is perfect. <laughs> Thanks for having me back to shoot the shit about films. I love it. That's right. That's right. So we're going to talk about big and, and you have all sorts of great stuff about this. And, and first we talk about, you know, uh, you know, when you first saw the movie and how it resonates with you. And uh, first, we'll start with that. So did you see this right when it came out or was this, uh, you know, a rental or something like that? No, I'm pretty sure I saw this one early on in the theaters. Were you a fan of Tom Hanks before this, or was this like one of the first Tom Hanks movies you saw? Uh, no, I knew who he was. I think I, uh, the first time Tom Hanks came across my uh, radar was both in um, Bosom Buddies and then the film that I recall most, uh, and I don't know the date-wise what it was, but Bachelor Party. Oh, yeah. I, I loved Bachelor Party. Yeah, that was. It's funny where people go back in his filmography because in the '80s he was all comedies for the most part, and then uh, when he started to win Academy Awards, people went back and looked at his filmography, and <laughs> they watch Bachelor Party. They're probably like, "Where, where did this come from?" Yeah, you got to give it up to Nick the Dick. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen Bachelor Party, uh, see it. It's fun, and and for those that are into uh, hard rock and heavy metal, uh, Tony Katane is his fiance. Yeah, it was awesome, man. I I really enjoyed that flick, and so yeah, I never. I mean, I'm one of those individuals that never pays attention to, uh, you know, Oscars and awards and stuff like that. I don't I just don't care about stuff like that. If I'm entertained, I'm entertained. And um, that's how I approached it. But uh, I think I probably went and saw big uh, based on the feedback that was coming out at the time from the public, you know, uh, because the movie was pretty popular when it came out, as far as I recall. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an interesting movie in the sense that in in many ways, it's the first real serious movie that uh, Tom Hanks did. Of course, it has lots of comedy, uh, but it's it's one of those movies where kids love it and adults love it as well. Yeah, I always enjoy the premise of, 
you know, body switching and, you know, the whole freaky Friday thing, Mm -hmm. that whole, that whole premise, you know, uh, seems to always go over well with me. So that's why I was like, you know, not fighting going and seeing this movie. Well, it's funny. You mentioned the the body swapping. That was all the rage in the mid to late eighties. Cause you had uh, like father, like son, I think Kirk Cameron, Dudley Moore, and then uh, vice versa, which uh, I think judge Reinhold was in. And it's just like all these different body swap movies. Um, I think 18 again with George Burns. And yeah. So it was like, where did all this come from? And it's all at once. Tons. And they still come today. I mean, they still make them today. That's still a thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what the name of it was. One of the more recent ones. And by recent, I mean, probably last 10, 15 years. But uh, one of the more recent one recent ones that I remember enjoying was the Ryan Reynolds, uh, Jason Bateman one I thought was pretty hilarious. Oh, yeah. Was it called like the change up or something? something uh, like that. I mean, I remember they shot it here in Atlanta. So there were a bunch of uh, uh, Atlanta landmarks uh, that I could see in the, in the shooting of the flick. But yeah, I enjoyed that movie. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. There's one with uh, Rob Schneider where uh, I think it's called the hot chick where he turns into a teenage, it's not a teenage girl, but uh, like very, a very attractive girl. (laughs) But it's Rob Schneider. Yeah. So the body swapping, obviously a clear stream of revenue for Hollywood. Obviously. Yeah. But I would say of, of all of them, big works the best because it's actually got a great premise and obviously the best actor uh, to play it. Cause really with Tom Hanks, I mean, you really think he is a 13 year old. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. agree. So we'll get into this. Like, what are what are the scenes that really stand out for you, and what what are the actors that that really uh, stand out for you? Well, I mean, for me, uh, there weren't a whole lot of background actors, so to speak, that stood out for me. Obviously, uh, Tom Hanks and uh, Robert Loggia. Is that mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Uh, obviously, those two stood out to me, and then Elizabeth Perkins um, stood out. But you know, they were they are the main characters in it and pretty much they were the main parts of the movie. I mean, you have Tom Hanks's uh, childhood friend that's in it, which uh, I looked that guy up. I don't remember him from much anything else, but uh, in his biography thing, it says he's a musician, but it doesn't yeah. say, it doesn't say how he's a musician, you know, mm-hmm. he's great in that movie too. Like he, he really does well as a child actor. Yeah, they have really good interaction together, both as the two kids and then even when Hanks comes into the picture as the grown up, uh, they still have really good chemistry because Hanks does such a great job of, like you said, encompassing that uh, that childlike, um, you know, persona. Mm hmm. Was there a, so watching it now, I, I don't know if people are creeped out by certain scenes. So obviously. Tom Hanks' love scene with Elizabeth Perkins, you know, they're both adults on the film, but he's supposed to be a 13-year-old. And so I remember, I remember watching it as a kid, not thinking anything of it. And now I'm thinking, like, eh, I'm not sure this would fly today. How, what did you feel? I wrote all kinds of notes. So I okay. wrote a whole bunch of notes on this yeah. because it is uh, – I watched this literally uh, less than 48 hours ago. I wanted okay. to watch it as I do when I know we're going to do a movie. And mm-hmm. so – the first thing that came to mind was, uh, you know, how how much simpler was life 
back there in 1988. Mm -hmm. You know, life was so much simpler. I could identify with the time period of growing up because for me, that was, pardon the pun, sort of my growing up rock years, you know, 88, uh, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, that whole period of time. And one of the things that I wrote was small boy hanging out with grown man, not related. Nope, not anymore. (laughs) That was one thing because they were always hanging out together. So I was like, okay, that would not be going down anymore. And yeah, like, like you said, the whole, um, love scene thing with Elizabeth Perkins. The other thing I noted, and I just, I wrote a whole bunch of little notes like smoking in meetings. Elizabeth Perkins was smoking, (laughs) smoking in business meetings. No more of that kind of stuff. Uh, his first paycheck was $187 in New, (laughs) in New York in 1988. Are you kidding me? Like you can't even get a slice of pizza for 187 bucks now. (laughs) Well, that's a great scene because he's, I just love the youthful exuberancy. Like he's so happy. And then John Lovitz is like, I know they really screw us, don't they? But he was just ecstatic to have a hundred bucks, you know? Yeah, uh, completely. So uh, I, I really enjoy when I go back and watch a movie like this because there's no cell phones. There's no, I mean, it's just so much different now. And I thought, okay, well, this is a movie I could 100% see uh, Hollywood remaking this movie, and what would it be like today if they remade it, you know? Yeah, I almost hope that they don't. I mean, there's so many body swap movies. They probably, like, why do we have to remake Big? But, yeah, I, you're right. I mean, that's yeah, I could see see that definitely happen, or, or they turned into a TV show or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think they, they already turned it into a Broadway play or something, didn't they? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And that makes that makes total sense. The other great actor in this who plays a perfect bad guy is John Hurd, who plays uh, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. He's he uh, you know, he's one of those individuals that is uh, almost tight cast in a lot of the stuff that he was in. I don't remember all the rest of the stuff he was in. I'm sure you're going to tell us at some <laughs> point in this episode. Uh, but I remember seeing him in a few other things. And, and it seems like to me, everything he was in, he was kind of a jerk. Uh, but really when you strip it down, he was just, uh, there's a lot of hidden messages in this movie. Like Mm -hmm. if you really start stripping down some of the stuff that was going on this movie, it wasn't apparent to me at the time because I was obviously probably too young and, you know, just not seasoned, but when I watched this movie with different eyes, uh, I, I got a lot more out of it that maybe was intended, but never really got talked about. At least I don't remember. Yeah. And then that brings up a great point. I think that's why it, it's almost it, it was so successful because kids saw it a certain way. I mean, they just kind of like, hey, I get to we get to see a kid act like as a, an adult, whereas the adults probably saw the, you know, oh, if I could go back and be a, a kid again, what would I do differently? Do I want to grow up that quickly? So I think that's that's a sign of a great movie where. Uh, two different generations get a whole different message from it. Uh, speaking of John Hurd, uh, he, he's probably best known. Uh, his other role is he plays um, Macaulay Culkin's dad in Home Alone. 
Ah, yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's well, why I, that's why I like to lean on you, Brian Davis, <laughs> because you always make me remember stuff. All right. I need you to start singing lean on me. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of lean on you, uh, you did some amazing research and you found a, a, a very small character actor. Uh, and I totally missed this one. So this is why I love having guests on that really do their homework. So let's talk about Rocket's Red Glare. <laughs> yeah, that's actually not the line in the song, but the character actor, Rocket's <laughs> Red Glare. That's right. Yeah, so I'm watching the credits. I see Rocket's Red Glare come across the screen, and he was the hotel clerk in this little seedy, nasty hotel that uh, Tom Hanks and his little buddy check into, and that seedy, nasty hotel where they charge by the hour. Yeah, I, I think I probably stayed there at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Just totally kidding. <laughs> it's okay. Never, no, no shame here. No shame. I, I could never stay at a place like that. So disgusting that place. Oh, but but uh, so yeah. So I'm like, well, that's an interesting name. Let me dig this guy up and see what what Rockets Red Glare is all about. I pull him up in Wiki, of course, because Wiki, you know, they're mm-hmm. the four, they're the most known source of all information, and it's always correct, by the way. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, I'll just read you what the literally the um, the first thing is is Rockets Red Glare. He was born under the name Michael Mora. Uh, in 1949, and he died in 2001. And the first thing in it is early life. He was born Michael Mora in New York City to a heroin-addicted 15-year-old mother named Agnes. While still in utero, he became addicted to heroin, so doctors added an opiate derivative into his baby formula so that he could withdraw from the drug. Mora's father and uncle were career criminals in the Italian mob in Sheep's Bay, Sheep's Head Bay, Brooklyn. After his father was deported to his native Italy, Agnes, which is his mom, mm-hmm. began a relationship with a drug-addicted former boxer who assaulted both young Mora and the mother. Mora also spent time being raised by his aunt in Lyndhurst, New York. After his mother was killed by her boyfriend, Mora took up the stage name Rockets Red Glare from the fifth line of the U.S. National Anthem. Wow. <laughs> See, I think today you were mentioning if Big were made today, I think it would have been the Rockets Red Glare story. That's what they would have done today. I mean, that that sounds literally like it could be a movie to its own, right? Uh, absolutely. Oh, what, that I mean, you and I were talking about this beforehand, and it almost sounds like it was made up for Wikipedia. But I, who knows? This sounds way too crazy to even be fake. Yeah. And a lot of the other this guy had, you know, a, a character role in a lot of different movies. Mm-hmm. And when you start reading through some of his character roles, it's always typecast stuff like drug dealer and yeah. uh, stuff. He know he obviously knew very well. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, the, he, in the film, he just looks like a kind of, a a CD hotel clerk, nothing special, just, um, kind of, yeah, yucky, but, uh, he died of kidney failure, liver failure, cirrhosis, and hepatitis C and was morbidly obese when he died. Uh, and I guess I said 2001, but, uh, you know, I guess that is right. He died in 2001. So, uh, just doesn't sound like 
the guy obviously had success, but doesn't sound overall like he had a really great life from, you know, from the time he was still in utero. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, it's interesting. Look at his filmography. A lot of them are, are uh, New York movies, like uh, obviously uh, Big and then Desperately Seeking Susan, After Hours, uh, Shakedown, which um, that's kind of an underrated film with, um, uh, well, there's Peter Weller and then Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott's in it. They play two cops. Yeah. He was but, in talk talk radio. Yeah, another uh, New York movie. So yeah, he's, he's kind of like that quintessential character actor uh, that you would see in New York, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, yay, big happy film. Comedy. Yeah. <laughs> so you you thought this was going to be an uplifting episode, but no, we like to we like to get real, and and I appreciate Stephen bringing up the realness of this. I just I when I saw that I was like, man, that is too absolutely too good not to share. Uh, with the listeners and and share with you because I was like, man, this is crazy stuff. And absolutely, I totally missed that. So that this is this is what I love doing because there's nobody that that really would have caught this unless they were digging deep into big. Yeah. So let's let's get back to the happy stuff, which is <laughs> who didn't love the scene where he's triple dipping chips at this party and eating the mini corn on the cob. Come on. One of the oh, best yeah. scenes in the movie. And, and the best part about that is that that's all Tom Hanks. That's all him ad libbing, you know, that because I mean, they could write a scene like that, but Tom Hanks has to make it work. And he totally does. And then him just appearing like in the tuxedo and things like, and there was a, there was a deleted scene where you see him and Billy shopping for tuxedos. And so, you know, ahead of time, it's going to be something nuts. You never actually see the tuxedo, but you, you know, they're going to find something crazy. And they decided to cut it because the big reveal is so much better when he comes out of the elevator. And that's stuff you don't necessarily think about. Like I didn't, I didn't, I never knew that uh, piece of information. So, but when you put it to me that way, I'm like, yeah, that's stuff that you have to think about, I guess, when you're a filmmaker. And I would have never, I would have never thought about that. But yeah, the big reveal with the tuxedo is so much better. Oh yeah. And then of course the scene that everyone remembers is, is the, the giant piano on, on the floor of uh, FAA Schwartz. Yeah, who here has never taken part in a big giant uh, <laughs> piano? Uh, I have. Have you? Oh, absolutely, and it's it's so much fun. It's, it's it's again, it's just like the movie. Kids love it, and adults love it. Yeah, and that's again, that's something else from a, a days gone by because uh, I think uh, most of the FAO Swartzes are gone, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't have a bunch of huge department store toy stores anymore, if any. I don't, you know, maybe they still have one in big in big New York, but uh, probably not for much longer after all this is done, because I think that's probably one of the things that'll go away, you know? I agree. And and that's the, that was the great part about you kind of forget. So, I mean, <laughs> we could talk about it. Tom Hanks's job is like a, the kid's dream. He's a toy tester. I mean, wh- who wouldn't want to do that? I guess it's the equivalent of being a video game tester today. Yeah. And they raise him up the ranks pretty quickly. And he's oh, yeah. vice president and he's making all this type of money. And, uh, you know, that's where one of the I think one of the hidden messages kind of gets lost in this film that was more apparent to me, which is even though he was a kid trapped in an adult's body, once he got all this responsibility and got all this, uh, so, you know, basically success, right? Because he was doing this, he sort of lost touch with who he really was and, uh, lost touch of being a kid and literally became an adult, even though 
he was still a kid, you right. know? Right. Uh, so I, I just, I remember the scene of him, uh, in his office where he's got all these deadlines, he's trying to make these deadlines and his friend is trying to, you know, be a kid with him and trying to be friends and trying to hang out. And, uh, you know, all I could hear in that scene was, uh, Harry Chapin's cats in the cradle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Cause we all turn into that. We, we, you kind of have to, which is in, in some ways sad. Yeah, so I think uh, note to self, never forget who you are. I, that's one of the reasons I love rock and roll. It keeps us young, right? Absolutely, and that's and that's why I go back to the movies I loved as a kid, and some of them hold up well, like big, and some of them don't, but you still have those memories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yep. so overall, you know, I really enjoyed watching this movie again as a 50-something-year-old. <laughs> Uh, versus when I, when I saw it, you know, because when it came out, I guess I was, um, uh, what, 23, 24, something like that, whatever in 88, I guess, uh, 22 anyway. But, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it both, both releases and saw the movie in two completely different frames of mind and enjoyed both of them. So absolutely. Absolutely. So definitely we would return to this and, uh, and I think Steven's going to be returning to the podcast soon. And so as always, thank you so much, Steven. Thanks, Ron Davis for having me on buddy. We are back with Eric Sinzak. Welcome back. Eric. Oh, thanks Brian. Thanks for having me back on. Well, it's always great having you on, and uh, we talked about a Tom Hanks movie not too long ago, and that was uh, Splash, and and now let's talk about probably the the movie that really was the big breakout film for him, and that is Big from 1988. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Big was his big film. That's That's right. right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So how old were you at the time when this came out? Uh, See, 88. Um, I was in eighth grade, so... uh, 12, 13, 12, 13 years old. Yeah. So yeah. I was about the age of the character. So it was, it was very, you know, it, the story was very poignant to me. So when I watched it, it was, it, it mattered when I was watching the film. Right. So watching it then compared to now, are there any differences that you're, is it still enjoyable for you as an adult? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, because what's interesting now is watching it, from then to now you get so much perspective on it from when you see it, you know, at that age. And then when you see it now looking back mm-hmm. on it, it's almost weird because you have those, those, that gift of youth from then. And then also that gift of wisdom at the age you are now when you're older watching right. it. It's so, so strange. Uh, yeah. To see this film. As an older person now, well, I think that's the the genius of a great film where old and young alike can like it for completely different reasons. And like you said, uh, the kid in you, or when you are an actual kid, you just love the fact that you have this chance to grow up so quickly. But then it suddenly, for I think for adults, mm-hmm. it's almost sad in a way because we're always always trying to grow up so quickly. Uh, and then when we are eventually that age, we want to go back to the simpler time. Yeah, and. It, Elizabeth Perkins has a great line in this film where he it's toward the end where he asks her if she wants to go with him, you know, mm-hmm. you can. And she's like, no, it hurt to. She'd already gone through it. She doesn't want to do it again. <laughs> yeah. She, she didn't want to do it because it hurts too much. Right. Yeah, just, yeah. She just, she just couldn't do it. So. So when was the last time you saw this? 
Um, actually, I watched it uh, pretty recently. Me and my son watched it because he had never seen it. So he, oh, wow. okay. he really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. He thought it was great. Um, and he's he's a teenager, so he, <laughs> he, he he's like, well, what's this? And he's like, yeah, let me let me let me sit down and watch this because he thought it was kind of cool. Sure. So okay. So th- that actually brings up some good points. What were his favorite scenes? He he liked the 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 parts where it was like you know them goofing her off, you know, and just like running around in New York. And uh, well, it's like when he when he gets the apartment, you know, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And uh, but I think I I caught him like really paying attention to the serious parts where he's you know uh, when he sees like stuff that's like when he's scared or, yeah. you know, when he having to deal with adult stuff, you know, things that would be, you know, stuff that a kid wouldn't have to ordinarily deal with. And he's sort of like, wow, that's, that's something I never would have thought of. Like, you know, having to pay bills or having to, you know, suddenly interact with adults at an adult level, you know, and mm-hmm. that's stuff that he never would have, he didn't think of either when he had to get into this situation. He's like, wow, I'm having to go to dinners with people. I'm having to, you know, dress like an adult. I'm uh-huh. having to, you know, be, be, be an adult. And I'm, a, I'm trapped inside an adult body and act like an adult. And my son was sort of like, you know, all this was funny at first. And now it's like, wow, this isn't, this is more serious than I thought, you know? Yeah. And I think when you're that age and you're watching someone go through it, you're kind of empathizing with that character. And that was pretty interesting to watch. Yeah, and that's and those are all great points. And uh, yeah, for me, when I was a kid, I loved the scenes with him and his buddy Billy. You know, because they're doing exactly what we all would do if we were alone. You know, like in that that crappy hotel room that they was in the studio. <laughs> you know, they they get silly string and pizza and all this junk food, and they just go crazy because he had yeah. finally made you know a, a couple hundred dollars, which that's <laughs> he made a hundred eighty-seven dollars, <laughs> and he's <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> yeah, he's he's rich. He can buy whatever he wants. It was so great. <laughs> and John Lovitz is like, yeah, they really screw you, don't <laughs> yeah, they? <laughs> That's a great scene. And you forget that John Lovitz is in there. Yeah, uh, he's yeah, great character. Oh, he is. And the other great character uh, is Robert Lugier, who plays uh, McMillan, who owns um, the company. And, of course, the so how did your son feel about probably the most famous scene in, in the film? And that's the, the, the floor piano scene. Uh, he liked it. And mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a cool scene you know that's something i looked at too because i you know i I watched it i've watched that's one of my favorite scenes in any film yeah um you know because i I always thought you know that just watching that originally and then it's been it's an iconic scene it's something that uh you can watch it at any time and just think wow that that movie that's just got it sticks with you and something i didn't know was that um when penny marshall uh, when they first were looking at that piano at FAO Schwartz, mm-hmm. the first time they found one, it was only a three, a, a one octave piano. That's right. And, and Penny Marshall had them uh, make a three octave piano mm-hmm. for the for the film, uh, just so that that piano, in, as as you see it in the movie, did not even exist until the movie was made for them right. to, for this film. So this it's pretty amazing that we actually have this as 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 we see it. And Hanks and Loggia, they they got together to film this. They had stunt doubles mm-hmm. uh, prepa- prepared for this scene and they worked all day and got it. And just yeah. 
them doing it because they were prepared to do this. So I love this. The fact that they did it, mm-hmm. they did it themselves. They worked all day and, you know, Robert Loja, you know, he, he wasn't no spring chicken, but he was no. working and he got it. <laughs> and, and he nailed it. I mean, that's why the scene works. So, I mean, they, yeah, of course they could have done some, some, you know, selective editing and you could show them their feet and it wasn't really them, but it's so much better that you know, it's them and you could tell it's them too. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that yeah. you could, that was so that's such a cool scene and i i really enjoy it so much and that it really is amazing how you can peer into their uh characters so well in that scene because he's he's not there with kids mm-hmm. uh, robert loge is not you know and baskin's not there with kids you know he's, he's not there josh is not there with kids mm-hmm. it's but they're they're there as kids they're just right. just grown kids having mm-hmm. fun and you could tell that's that's why McMillan started that company because he's a kid, exactly. And Josh's a kid, so they're just there as two big kids having fun. So, Another great point because I don't know. Have you seen some of the deleted scenes at all? You know, I haven't. I haven't watched the extended ones. Okay, there's a, a deleted scene uh, where uh, Josh goes late at night. He's working late, and he goes into McMillan's office, and McMillan's kind of reminiscing about his old toy like the toys that you know when he was growing up and how they would do this and that and and that is why he got into the business in the first place and it's totally what you were talking about uh he's still a kid at heart and so he's kind of he he appreciates josh because josh is bringing that youthful exuberance he doesn't realize that he's really you know 12 or 13 um but he's he's bringing that enthusiasm back to the company that he appreciates and then a guy like paul who is just like this you know curmudgeon and doesn't like anything i mean he's an adult trying to make kids toys he's missing the whole boat and that's why everyone's kind of gravitating towards josh mm-hmm. yeah so, i could yeah. i could see that completely and john hurt who does a great job in this film as oh, paul yeah. uh you know he's such a 180 in this in this film from what he was in the dad in home alone that's right uh, <laughs> you know who we talked about also you know yeah but that his such you know that that's one one thing we've talked about actors who can sell their character and i really appreciate his level of acting ability in this film because you really hate him i mean he's such a butthole in this movie he really (laughs) is and and, you know the the more mature person is actually the kid you know like when he gets when he tries to basically pick a fight with them when they're playing uh you know handball or racquetball or whatever whatever it was yeah yeah yeah, and he, he was just like, you cheated. And he's like, yeah, give me the ball. He's like, yeah. beat the hell out of him. <laughs> That's right. That's right. What, what are some of your other uh, more you know favorite scenes uh, then and now? Well, there's there's a lot of good scenes. And it, it's funny because the silly stuff is great, but I think some of, the, some of the great acting that you see that Tom Hanks does, the, some of the personal acting scenes that are that he does that are just the small scenes where he's uh, okay. This is kind of, kind of strange, but mm-hmm. when you see him like teaching the other kid, when he's like, yeah, uh, that's a great scene. dinner party. Yes. Yeah. And he's like, Oh no, I used to do that too. And he goes in and teaches him algebra and stuff like that. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, where he's, you know, and those kind of things where it's small stuff that you didn't really expect, you know, and it's just him as an adult, but doing things that, you know, there's there's that kid in there but he's sort of slowly becoming an adult but he's still got it in there and then i like the scene where billy comes back to him and confronts him and says and i'm older than you by three months asshole right. <laughs> and then and then it's sort of like i'm shaking you awake 
Yeah. And, and he has to go back and he's sort of like, I've got to look at the world. You know, I got to go back and start looking at the world. And he's got that whole montage where he's walking around and he's looking at kids again. And he's mm-hmm. sort of like, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be who I'm becoming. Right. You know, I, and he's I've, in his I've, suit. I've, yeah. Yeah. I've lost sight of all that. So yeah. I think it was really a, a genius way that they shot that and they filmed it because all they did, I, I think right there was they didn't have any dialogue in that whole, maybe two, three minutes of film. Right. It was just, they let Tom Hanks act. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Penny Marshall and Ann Spielberg were really great. And all of them were really great when they let Tom Hanks just act. And he hadn't had a lot of, you know, big films so he it's really hard i think to put a lot of trust in an actor especially somebody from a comedic background to go ahead and do several minutes on screen of just dramatic points where you're right. just saying go ahead and act mm-hmm. you know that that's a lot takes a lot of trust for a director to do that oh absolutely you can just see it in his eyes i mean one of the i don't i forgot who brought it up it might have been uh in the special features uh, talking to the the um the writers it's the the po- the movie poster it's just that him looking in you know looking right at you and he's got those childlike eyes like it is amazing um you truly believe that tom hanks is 13 i mean that's how good he is yeah he's got a very nice twinkle in his eye a yeah. very face and it really carried over well just in that one shot it tells you a lot about the film just in the photograph that's right. And, and the other person that doesn't get enough credit is uh, Jared Rushen, who plays Billy. Like, I, he's a great kid actor and he's he, he's perfect in that role because you truly think of him uh, as a kid and, and he acts like it. Yeah, he, he does. He pl- he plays that well. He's he's the rough and tumble best friend that everybody wanted to have. And the guy who always would have your back. I mean, that's, that's right. somebody that's he was a really great character um, and he was a good actor for, you yeah. know, he really yeah. did well. Absolutely. Any final thoughts? I would recommend anybody uh, who's never seen it to certainly watch it. And it's always fun to rewatch this film. Oh, one thing I got to ask you. So right around this time, body switch movies were all the rage. Did you watch any (laughs) of the other ones at the time? And there were a lot. Um, Oh, my gosh. Well, Freaky Friday, I can certainly recall from way, way back. And sure. uh, But that was way before this. um, Mm hmm. What else was what else was out around this time? So it was, a, a it was amazing. It was like w- literally within like two years, you had vice versa, vice versa yeah, with uh, right. Judge right. Reinhold, like father, like son uh, with uh, Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore. Uh, I think you had 18 again with uh, George Burns. It was just like all these movies that were just like and then, of course, big. They're utterly forgettable. You know, yeah. as you can tell, I I. I'm not exactly, I mean, you're recalling them to me and I'm like, oh yeah, there's that. Um, But it's not, I'm not in love with any of them. So yeah, yeah, no. Well, good. I I, (laughs) I won't call you when we eventually do those because I do own all of them for whatever reason. (laughs) They were cheap, so I own them. (laughs) Not that I don't care for Judge Reinhold or anybody, you know, Dudley Moore or all those other people, but no, I think they're great, but I don't think there would necessarily be high points in their career. I mean, if you want about judge i mean let's, let's go back to fast times That's original nice. Nine, something like that so yeah. but and deadly yeah. more definitely arthur and the, 10 in yeah. 10 yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that's uh i think they were definitely going after a check at that point so oh. 
<laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, we will recommend big and, and you guys can forget everything else. I do like the original Freaky Friday with Jodie Foster, though. Yes. Very good film. Yes. Very funny. I've watched it a bunch. <laughs> oh, me too. Well, I'll have you on when we do that one eventually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. Thanks, Brian. This is Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock Podcast. If you're like me and my co-host, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, you grew up loving hard rock and metal music. Check out our podcast where we talk to bands and artists that help create the soundtrack to our lives, along with playing some killer new and old deep tracks of kick-ass, guitar-driven rock and roll. Find us wherever you find your podcast to listen to, That's the Growing Up Rock Podcast, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. And feel free to hit us up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Growing Up Rock. So sit back and crank it up. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories Podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie Memories. <laughs> I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. 
We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science! Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Vieira Vault on Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs>